Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. Welcome to Ofsted Talks, the Ofsted podcast. This is a special edition. We're going to be focusing on our annual report for 21-22, which was published on the 13th of December. We've got a stellar lineup to talk you through what is in our annual report. We've got Amanda Spielman, His Majesty's Chief Inspector. We've got Alex Jones, who's our Director of Insights and Research. Yvette Stanley, who's our National Director for Regulation and Social Care. And Lee Alston, our Acting National Director for Education. Welcome, everybody. I'm going to start by turning to Amanda. Amanda, give us your uh, initial reflections on the year that has just gone. Genuinely extraordinary year. On the one hand, we've been very lucky. We managed to to keep children um, in school through the year. And yet it was such a tough year for everybody from early years, schools, further education, social care across the board. It's been a tremendous challenge. I think on the one hand, dealing with all the catch up work, not just the academic demands, but also the sort of socialization, the behavior challenges, also having to do so much more than usual because so many other services weren't available. And of course, because staff themselves were shorthanded, partly because of recruitment and retention difficulties, but also um, because of higher than usual levels of staff sickness. So there's a sort of triple whammy in there of having to deal with backlogs and the normal work and with other services that are still not fully back up to speed with a slightly reduced workforce. It's been so hard. And I think I want to start by acknowledging that and saying that what's been achieved, I think, is in many contexts, nothing short of astonishing. Thanks, Amanda. We'll definitely come back to some of those themes that you picked up on uh, as we go through this podcast. I'm going to turn to Alex next. Alex, uh, you led the production of this year's annual report. Uh, you've been fully immersed in its contents for the last few months. Why don't you give us give us some of the headlines of uh, what Ofsted inspectors and researchers have found over the last year or so? Three sort of themes that I would draw out that really help to illustrate some of the challenges that the sectors have faced during this year, as, as Amanda uh, mentioned. The first, I think, is around the ongoing impact of the pandemic. And, you know, in, in early years, we've seen children starting their early years education with uh, speech and language having been affected by the pandemic and the fact that that many of those children have actually lived the majority of their lives in the pandemic. And in older children as well, we've seen the ongoing impacts of the pandemic manifest themselves through some ongoing mental health concerns and also uh, attendance rates are still lower uh, than they were pre-pandemic. And in FES, we've also seen learners struggling to access work placements. That's just to sort of illustrate a few of the a few of the challenges that are that 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 the pandemic c- uh, continues to throw up. And of course, some of that's been some of those challenges are further exacerbated by, especially towards the end of the year, pressures on the workforce across the sectors that we inspect and regulate. So in early years, childminder numbers are falling, nurseries uh, are closing, uh, and lots of those settings are increasingly reliant on apprentices. In social care, we've seen vacancies for registered managers increase. Uh, They're now running at about 14%. 
and local authorities are increasingly reliant on agency social workers, which can really impact on the the provision that children receive. And it's especially important in something like that, which is so so sort of heavily reliant on the relationship that that social workers can can have with children. And I mean, just to sort of illustrate what this means in education, what you know, what do these workforce pressures mean? Well, it can mean fewer staff in schools and colleges, and that can mean larger classes of, of more mixed abilities and fewer opportunities for enrichment programs and and catch up opportunities. The and then the sort of third thing I would I would highlight is the impact that that can have on some of the children with with the highest needs and those that are sometimes out of the line of sight of Ofsted and other agencies. In the report, we highlight that the numbers of children uh, in care are continuing to rise. Local authorities often struggle to find placements for those children and they can end up accommodated in homes that, that are hundreds of miles away in, in some cases. And we really highlight concerns around the the pressure that this place is on on the system, both in social care and also in education, where the system can struggle to make appropriate provision for children with special educational needs and disabilities in some cases. Thanks, Alex. So you've highlighted uh, some of the challenges that everyone working in education and social care will, I think, recognise and will have worked so hard to tackle over the last uh, year that we've that we've reported on. But looking at our inspection outcomes, um, they're, they're largely moving in, in very positive directions. So I'm going to turn to Yvette and then to Lee to tell us a bit about um, our inspection outcomes, firstly in um, social care and then in and then education. And Yvette and Lee, just tell us about how some of the providers we work with are really successfully rising to the challenges that, that Alex has spelt out. Yvette, over to you first. Okay, I'm going to start with the inspection of local authority children's services um, and this framework um, we put in place in January 2018. And uh, from a very low base, we've had some solid improvements. So we've gone from 2% of local authorities being outstanding to 16%. That's from three to 24 local authorities. And at the other end, 11% were inadequate. And we've halved, we've halved that. So a really good story, as I said, from, from a, a place where we wanted to see significant improvements. And local authorities have done that despite the challenges of COVID. Um, and where we see that working well, it really is solid leadership, a really child-centred, ambitious agenda for change and getting the basics in place so that social workers can do a really good job. Children's homes have continued to be at a very similar level of good and outstanding across, across all the judgments. But we have seen since COVID the, the newerly registered um, children's homes not having quite the same profile, only marginally, but absolutely that really seems to relate to an absence of managers, as Alex said earlier, and real challenges in getting enough, aid, enough staff to run the homes on a, on a regular basis. Thanks for that. That's really interesting. Well, again, we'll return to some of these things, I think. Lee, uh, over to you. Um, tell us a bit about what's been happening across our education remits. Yes, yeah, certainly. Just give you give you a flavour of some of the, the different remits in, in education. I think 
given all those challenges that, that Alex was outlining um, at the beginning there, I think actually in terms of our inspection judgments, we see across all of the sectors either maintaining the proportion of good and outstanding providers that we have in previous years or, or improving upon it which I think is a is a great achievement. Just to give you some specifics, you know, 88% of state funded schools are now good and outstanding, which is a, a 2% increase on the previous year. I think particularly we need to kind of praise those those weaker schools that have certainly improved over the last year. I mean, when you look at the, the proportion, 70% of schools judged previously as requiring improvement have kind of have, in, have improved um, to good or better. And indeed, inadequate schools have, have improved to, to good, um, if not to, to require improvement. So I think despite those challenges, leaders certainly in the school space are really I think taking the opportunity to think carefully about their curriculum. I think what the pandemic has enabled all leaders to do is kind of look at their what they want children to learn with fresh eyes and really prioritise what it is that they need at this point in time, always with that long term view about how they want to get back to the curriculum that they were establishing um, pre pandemic. We've seen 82% of, of further education and skills providers maintaining their good and outstanding grade, and particularly in the in the college space, we've seen a significant increase there actually in, in good and outstanding with 11% with increase um, on previous years. I would say where we've seen some differences on previous outcomes. We obviously have a have a, a rationale there in terms of early years where there has been a slight dip in good and outstanding provision overall. That's simply because we prioritise those providers that have gone the longest without inspection. So inevitably, a bit like we have with the removal of the outstanding exemption, you know, we've we've taken the opportunity to go back to those that have been out of the line of sight in terms of inspection for the longest time, and inevitably, more of those have have dropped one, two or more grades, but certainly overall, because we inspect all education remits under the education inspection framework, then actually that focus on curriculum, what is it that children need to learn has given you know, the sector and inspectors the flexibility to really look at what's happening now for the children in front of them. And the story is there's a lot of great work that's going on out there, despite the challenges that everybody's facing. Amanda, Yvette and Lee have described you know, the, the efforts to which people are going to maintain and even improve standards uh, in the, across the sectors that we work with, despite some of the challenges that, that we've outlined, particularly in terms of workforce. And I think you know, we've talked before about the pressure that uh, especially leaders have been under since the start of the pandemic. And um, we know that many are, are you know, continuing to, to feel that pressure and to, and to feel the challenge that we've outlined. It, it's to their credit, isn't it, that, that they are still improving outcomes for children. But do you worry that this situation could, could get worse, uh, given where we are and given where we've got to go? Well, it's very easy to see that there could be problems with sustaining the current level of effort. The pressures of the last three years, first the sort of full-blown COVID and, re and restrictions, and then the last year of recovery, now the sort of cost of living pressures, um, a lot of nurseries, schools, colleges are really, really uncertain how they will make ends next meet next year, so what choices they're going to have to make. And that makes it really hard to plan solidly, carefully, um, and make really good choices that will in fact help children sort of complete this job of recovery and and do as well as they can. So so I th I think it's a tremendously difficult time to be leading in our in our sectors. We know from the first year of COVID 
quite how difficult it is for leaders when there are sort of great uncertainties ahead of them, when every day it feels like you're 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 doing something that that you never learnt about when you were preparing for the job, that no none of none of your peers has ever done before either. So you're all having to do things for the first time, um, and I think working in the context of a sudden very very heavy cost of living crisis really is putting us in a different way that kind of pressure on leaders again. Thanks Amanda. Come back to you Yvette on you know we talked about the challenges facing some of our most vulnerable children. Expand a little bit on on that what what are we seeing post pandemic um, in terms of the impact on those children that either Ofsted and other authorities can't see or where we're not having the same levels of service as we've seen in the past? Children with special educational needs and disabilities um, saw their services and support quite disrupted during COVID, particularly those therapeutics such as speech and language therapies. And for some period, both in ILACs and our SEND inspections, we've been talking about the challenges in accessing children's and adolescent mental health services. And I think those things are continuing and are still quite concerning. And if you can imagine um, the pressure that puts on schools in trying to navigate the absence of those services for for those children with high you know high needs of complexity, uh, it's it's the same issue for families. And so we see in our SEND inspections families who who had their respite disrupted or a feeling that they're getting into quite an adversarial position in trying to access the services they need. So we're still seeing a bit of that. We are seeing schools and local authorities step in to provide some of those services. But but absolutely, and as Amanda says, schools and local authorities have their own budget pressures. Um, and so there's issues around the funding of those services, but also um, schools and local authorities don't have necessarily the clinical governance to provide or commission some of those services. So it really does need some joined up thinking. But you could imagine the loss of that respite could put families under considerable pressure. And we know that there just aren't enough places, whether it's for children with special educational needs, needs or looked after children who need residential care. There just aren't enough of the right places close to where children live to make those placements. Um, and we're particularly seeing that acutely on the uh, on, in the secure estate where children need welfare support. And we've seen a very sharp increase in children before the High Court uh, needing a secure place uh, and a compensatory decrease in the number of inpatient beds. Now, absolutely, we don't want children hospitalised, but we do need safe provision for them in the community. And that has a, a huge knock-on effect on parents and families, doesn't it? As does what we've been talking about uh, around the, the numbers of childminders and nursery places reducing. Tell us a bit more about that. We have to put this in a little bit of context. So I think there's been a population decline. Alex will, will correct me if I'm wrong. There's a little bit of a population decline, but we're also parents are making different choices about their childcare and wanting much more flexible support when they're perhaps working from home two days a week. That in turn puts tremendous pressure on providers 
who um, may, may not have the right mix of children in terms of getting enough income in to, to support their run, safe and efficient running of their nursery. So we are seeing some impact. And, and despite childminder numbers going down, which they have a, for a while, the overall places haven't gone down in the same way. But we, we, we will probably see some balancing out over the coming months and years as people um, you know, resettle into workforce patterns and make the demands that they need on their childcare. Uh, I was going to say, yes, if, if that's absolutely right, that the population of naught to four-year-olds in the country is also declining. So um, that does that is an important context to when we're thinking about childminder and nursery numbers and places. And of course, it's also true that in some of the areas of the country where childminder and nursery places are declining, the population isn't declining in line with the national average. So there are real pockets of di uh, different experience depending on where you are across England. Lee, I'll come back to you because there's been discussion recently about the numbers of previously outstanding schools that have lost their um, outstanding grade now that they've been reintroduced into routine um, inspection in the last year. Uh, just, just give us your take on on that. Why is that happening? Obviously, removing the exemption, which was a you know, a one-way valve, so that allowed the proportion of schools and colleges that were judged outstanding to increase. Because once you were kind of over that threshold, um, and you had that inspection judgment, then obviously you weren't you weren't going to drop from that position. I think we have seen some decline inevitably because obviously that exemption has lasted for a long a long time, and we have schools that we're returning to. You know, some as haven't had inspection for as long as fifteen years. And I think there'll be a number of reasons for decline in those instances. There will have been numerous head teachers, senior leaders, members of staff uh, over those 15 years. There will have been different frameworks. You know, there's, there's a whole host of re reasons that we are very open about in terms of the reports for those schools about, you know, the, any potential decline having happened at any point between the most current inspection and whenever the previous one might have been. But I also want to stress to people because I think, you know, we hear most about outstanding schools that have declined, but actually the removal of the exemption has has, has allowed a, a two-way movement. You know, it hasn't just led to a valve going in reverse and everybody declining. Actually, there are, there are schools that are equally improving and becoming outstanding for the first time, or indeed through our ungraded inspections, um, retaining their outstanding grade. And I think where we see schools maintaining that that standard, it's because they truly have something that you know others others can come along and, and learn from. You know they are they are exemplary in that there is aspects of their practice that they should they should share with others because they are they are that strong, and I think that often comes down to the way in which they approach their curriculum, the way in which they allow all children to have access to you know, the breadth and depth and ambition of, of, of all of the subjects of the national curriculum and beyond. And I think it is right to have that grade because there is something about aspiring to be the absolute best. But what I would want to reassure people about is that actually it, it does not mean perfection. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as standing still in education. And actually what characterises the, the, the outstanding leaders in schools out there is actually they understand that and they are constantly trying to improve and evolve upon what they already do, even though that is at a very high standard already. So. You know, yes, there has been decline. We would expect that from a system that hasn't allowed us to inspect outstanding schools for a while. But equally, let's remember there's also um, a lot of schools that are improving to that grade as well, and, and rightly so.
OK, let's spend our last couple of minutes just looking forward to next year. Now, as I said at the start, the annual report is based on what our inspectors have found during the year, but also some of the research uh, and evaluation and insight that we've done uh, over the course of, of that year. So, Alex, I come back to you looking forward. What's on Ofsted's research agenda for this year? Thanks, Chris. I'll um, highlight a couple of things just building on these points there we are going to be undertaking and publishing some research on what our inspectors found when they inspected the previously exempt outstanding schools so really looking underneath the the headline figures at what are the experiences of those schools um over that period of time and when we've gone back in to inspect them now we're also undertaking an evaluation of our education inspection framework uh, and we'll be publishing on that in the new year on what that will entail and the different strands to that. So how what the experiences have been for uh, schools and providers um, being inspected under the education inspection framework. We have a piece of research looking at early years, which is linked to our strategic priority for Ofsted on the best start in life. And we will also be publishing a series of subject reports for providers Excellent. Thanks, Alex. Uh, and finally, Amanda, you'll be sitting in the same chair this time next year talking about uh, Ofsted's annual report for 2023. Uh, what do you hope to be saying at that point? Uh, well, I hope, first of all, first and foremost, to be saying it really does look as though the great bulk of dealing with COVID recovery is behind us. Of course, there are still some children needing extra help, but for the most part, the job is done. Secondly, I hope we're seeing a stable and supportive context for everybody working in the sector because that's the context in which the very best work can be done in both education and, and social care. Um, thirdly, I'm really looking forward. I know we've got strands of work next year that are going to help us get to a whole different level of insight. Um, over the last few years, we've really been able to get to greater depth in social care, and I'm very much looking forward to being able to do the same in education, um, really drawing on the enormous reservoirs of expertise that we've got within Ofsted, but also linking linking in to how we make ourselves a force for improvement, how we really feed back as much as we can that is genuinely helpful in all the sectors in which we operate. Excellent. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks.